Come on with it. Hey y'all, this is Trigger Ticky. Welcome to the podcast. It's August of 2007. I'm in the first couple of weeks of my new career as a teacher. I've just retired from 25 years of ministry, toward the end of which I served about two and a half years in Africa, mostly in the Democratic Republic of Congo. So as a brand new teacher, I am, in more ways than one, just off the boat. To be honest, I'm darn near terrified as groups of 20 to 30 adolescents rotate hour by hour through my classroom. The question, what the hell am I doing here, crosses my mind repeatedly. Still, I have come into this new profession with two desires. Two desires that I will discover are irreconcilable. I want to be a friend to these kids, but I also want to be an authority to them. I will learn that you cannot be both. In my first month of teaching, I'll begin to learn this lesson with the help of one of my students. Let's call her Jennifer. Actually, I'd known Jennifer all of her life. You see, the middle school at which I was hired to teach just happened to be in the same neighborhood as the church I had served from 1986 to 2001. So I had baptized Jennifer as a child. And as she was growing up, she was subjected to my Sunday sermons. And now, bless her heart, she was subjected to me as a teacher. I'm sure this was awkward for her. It was awkward for me, too, a sort of George Costanza moment. This is not good! Worlds are colliding! (laughs) Worlds were colliding. So Jennifer, after about a month of watching her former preacher try to be hip, cool, fi, besties with her 8th grade classmates, approached me after class one day. In so many words, she said, Stop it. Just stop it. Stop trying to be one of us. You're not one of us. Then she said these words, which have enlightened me over my whole career as a teacher. She said this, There's a whole nother world in this place that teachers can't see, and they will never see it. All the teachers think they see it, but they can't possibly see it, and you can't either. In one respect, Jennifer's words felt like a rude slap in the face. But I saw that they were a kind of snap-out-of-it slap that came from someone who had my best interest at heart. So I gave up trying to be hip, cool, a friend, and set about being an authority. But that didn't work out real well for me either. You know, we often become parents who behave much as our own parents did. And teachers often behave as their own teachers did. I started to public school in 1960, and this was still the era when, as the saying went, children are better seen than heard. So my idea was that when I wasn't actively teaching, my students should be completely quiet, working, writing, or reading. Well, good luck with that. I was about five years into my teaching career. It was early in the school year, and my principal said to me, looks like you're having a better year. 
I said, why do you say that? And she said, well, I don't hear you yelling as much. Ouch. All this time, though, Jennifer's words kept percolating in my mind. There's a whole nother school in this place that teachers can't see, and they will never see it. I thought a lot about her remark. I had seen enough to know that the first part of what she said was definitely correct. Observing the kids in class, in the halls, in the cafeteria is a bit like looking out your back door in the morning and seeing gopher holes in your yard. You don't actually see the gophers, but you know they're there beneath the surface doing God knows what. So it is with middle school kids. And as for the second part of Jennifer's insight, that teachers will never see the world of the students, well, I think that's mostly correct. But could a teacher, if he or she really tried, could a teacher at least see some of that hidden beneath the surface world? This led me to think about, of all things, cultural anthropologists. Cultural anthropologists go into a culture that is not their own, and they learn how that culture is organized and how it shapes the lives of those who live within the culture. Good anthropologists check their own cultural biases at the door before they go into another culture. I had met a few American and European anthropologists when I lived in Africa, and I couldn't help but notice the difference between these anthropologists and us, us missionaries. The anthropologists came into African culture watching and listening and softly asking earnest questions about what they saw and heard. Missionaries, on the other hand, came in talking and loudly answering questions that no one had even asked of them. I began to realize that as a teacher, I had been behaving like a missionary and not an anthropologist. As the missionaries have done in Africa for a couple of centuries, so too teachers tend to do. They come into a foreign culture, that's student culture, and without even thinking about it, they belittle that culture and its practices. When the missionaries first arrived in Africa, they found the people worshiping their own versions of gods and singing sacred songs to the beat of drums. And the missionaries said in so many words, no, 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 this won't do. You've got God all wrong. You should get rid of those demonic drums. We'll ship in some pianos so you can have proper church music. Likewise, the teachers tend to belittle the culture and practices of adolescents and teens. They roll their eyes. They look down on every fad and every, every interesting pursuit of a lot of the kids. We teachers tend to think that we know everything better than the kids do. And I understand at least one of the reasons why we think we know better. When I was an adolescent, I had a teacher who would call us out when we started acting too adolescent. She would say, listen, children, I have an advantage over you. You're only young. I've already been young, and now I'm older, so I know more than you. Well. That sounded plausible at the time. But many years later, I would read of a world-famous cultural anthropologist named Margaret Mead. 
Meade advised young people to answer that old person quip as follows. Yes, it's true. You've been young and now you're old. And I've only been young. But you've never been young in this present world. And you never will be. Boom. So about four years ago, I decided that, as a teacher, I would stop being a missionary and start being an anthropologist. I would do my best to take seriously the culture of my 13- and 14-year-old adolescents. I would listen to them earnestly, sincerely, and ask questions when I didn't understand. I discovered that this is not an easy thing to do. 13- and 14-year-old kids are wired for rebellion. But if you step back a few paces and look at it from an evolutionary standpoint, you understand why they rebel. They are spreading their wings, they're on that bridge between childhood and adulthood, and in order to become independent acting and independent thinking adults, they are wired to push back at authority. Of course, it's equally important that authority provides a kind of resistant force. I mean, we build our muscles by pushing against resistance, and likewise, adolescents build their muscles of independence. So I realized that up to then, my error when I was teaching like a missionary was that I regarded my students' rebellious tendencies as some sort of moral shortcoming, as an abnormality on their part. I didn't recognize it for what it was, them doing what they're wired to do in order to grow into adults. When I started looking at it this way, my students began to really fascinate me. Perhaps as a cultural anthropologist would be fascinated by a rich and vibrant foreign culture. So at the beginning of every school year now, I tell my students that my classroom is a no-judgment zone, by which I mean I will not criticize them for what they think or feel. Of course, I lay ground rules for language. We can't use profanity, and we can't say things designed to hurt others. But I tell them that they are allowed to constructively criticize anything in any way they wish. They may criticize the school. They may criticize the way the teachers, including me, teach. They can criticize the dress code, the rules, anything. <laughs> and let me tell you, they do. And I do not respond defensively or belittle their opinions. I do my best to listen to them as an anthropologist would, which is to say that I do my best not to look down on them as lesser beings, but I try to look eye to eye. I try to look them straight in the eye as I would any human being of equal value to me, because they are of equal value to me. Even the most irritating of them are no less valuable than I am. It's been rewarding. In the past few years, they have taught me a ton, some of which I will share on this podcast. One more thing. Last week, a friend of mine texted me a photograph of a cryptogram he'd just solved. You know, cryptograms, those things you see in the newspaper, the letters are scrambled into code, which the puzzle solver has to crack. They're usually quotes from famous people. 
And this one that he sent me read, quote, People always say teens need a good talking to. I've never agreed with that. A kid needs a good listening to, end quote. You know who said that? The late, great Naomi Judd. She, too, was an anthropologist at heart. Hey, y'all, holler at me, chiggerticky at gmail.com. Hop over to the blog site, chiggerticky.com. Thanks so much for being here with me today. Can I get a come on with it? Come on with it! That's what I'm talking about. Hallelujah and amen. Again, thanks for being here. I hope you'll come back for the next installment of the Chigger Ticky Podcast. In the meantime, go in peace. Be kind to one another. Adios.